Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is Paul's doxology at the end of chapter 3. It's a very familiar one, and it's one that, uh, as you know, gets kind of twisted around to be often selfish. Like, Lord, please do exceedingly abundantly beyond all I ask or think for me. And that's obviously not what's intended. And that's not the context. I do want you to see the bigger context. They say in hermeneutics and biblical interpretation, the context is king. And so you need to see what the flow of this is and appreciate it for what it is. It's, it's fantastic. It's great. It's wonderful. So just think with me about the basic context of Ephesians when we get to this statement in this doxology as the pinnacle of theology and practice in its context. Ephesians was written to a local church, actually likely to a group of local churches. There's evidence that says that Paul intended this to go to the church in Ephesus, but then circulated around to all the churches in that province of Asia, of western Turkey, so that they would get it also. And this this seemed to be common uh, with the books that we know as the New Testament canon that they, they were received by the original recipients, but understood to be inspired by God, breathed out by God. And so they were better and more important and significant than any other writings of man, even of apostles and those around the apostles. These were inspired words. So they were to be circulated around to all believers And thus, we actually have it in our hands today. Chapter 1 talks about the glory of God's grace from before creation to redemption and adoption in Christ to the glorious gospel of salvation and to an expansive prayer for thanksgiving and gospel living in the church. So it starts out like before time. That's why we have this space view on the screen because this, this is big. This is huge. And Paul wants us to know this, this plan of God started before time. And it does include us to the glory of God's grace. Chapter 2, it talks about salvation by grace through faith to all nations. So we were spiritually dead before the Gospel, spiritually resurrected by grace through faith by the gospel, spiritually reconciled through the gospel to with all kinds of people who are believers by God's grace and spiritually united and growing in the gospel. The gospel is something that believers need every day. The gospel message is simple enough and yet we are always going back 
to repent of our sins and lay claim to the fact that our sins have been paid for at the cross. Praise God. Chapter 3, Paul gets a little personal and he talks about his unique role in establishing the church. He talks about the mystery of new truth revealed and the mystery of Christ now made known and the mystery of the Gentiles' inclusion. He talks about his unique ministry role in planting local churches and Paul's role in proclaiming Christ. He talks about the unique administration of local churches. So in your Bible it may say plan. In the NASB read for us this morning it said administration. It's the same word. It means that there's something of organization to it. There's something of a structure to how it operates. And Paul was the unique, I think, master of that in God's will and God's plan. Chapter 4, it goes on to talk about unity of leaders and new life in the church. Chapter 5, Christian behavior and marriage in the church. Chapter 6, Christian behavior in the family and in the marketplace and in the world in the context of the church. And so these verses in chapter 3 are the very center of Ephesians. And it seems like Paul's building a case going from creation and before time all the way up to this pinnacle and back down again to very practical things in our life. So we need to understand it. When it says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Expositor's Bible Commentary says, this doxology is plainly the climax of the first half of Ephesians, and it may be regarded as the climax of the whole letter, which rises to a spiritual peak at this point and then concentrates on practical Outworking. So I want God to ignite your heart for boldly glorifying God in the church, in the local church, by understanding Paul's doxology in this prayer. So first, comprehend God's power to glorify Himself in the church. The first part of this doxology is God Himself. Now to Him, it's His sovereign power to fulfill His purpose. This now connects with the previous context, and we looked at that, the immediate context in chapter 3, but also the bigger context of Ephesians. And I would like to suggest that, you know, this comes at the end of Paul's life. Paul is writing this toward the end of his life, and so he has a better understanding, even for himself historically, how this has all worked out through decades of hardship in missionary ministry. The subject is God the Father, back from verse 14. And note that the preceding prayer includes all three persons of the Trinity. It says, who is able to do. Of course we understand that our sovereign God described in the previous chapters up to this point is completely able to do anything He wants to do. 
He has no restraint. He can change things immediately. He can do whatever he wants to do because he is God. He is sovereign. He has all the power to do that. And we see that in these three sort of hyper words that are used. Far more is hyper more than all. If there's a distinction or emphasis in these qualities, it might be the quality of scope or expansiveness. It's better than everything. God is able to do better than everything you can imagine. Isn't that true in your life? You know, you may have some difficulty or hardship or even an opportunity. And things didn't work out the way you planned because you're not actually God. But God brings something better than you could have imagined out of it. Now, it may take time. It may take faithfulness on your part, trust, dependency. But this verse, in the biggest context, said God always is able to do far more exceedingly than we could ask or think. It's better than everything. And it's in abundance, hyper-abundant. There's a distinction or emphasis that might be the quantity or amount of something beyond numbering. When I was a kid, um, we used to say, that was, I know, for many of you, when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Um, but w- when I was a kid, you know, you used to kind of outdo each other in bragging or talking between your buds in the neighborhood. And you would say, a Google of this. Well, now Google means things that are completely different than that, sort of. But what is a Google? What is a Google? It's actually a short word that's used in place of a number. And if you look it up, it can mean a lot of different things. But it's a really big number. It's a really, really, it's like an unimaginable kind of number. It's a one followed by a whole bunch of zeros. And depending on where you look, it's like over 20 or up to 100 zeros is a Google. It's a lot. It's like your mom says, eat your peas, and you think there's a Google of them on your plate. It's not really a Google. Like if it was really a Google of peas, it would fill the house and overflow the whole neighborhood, and you would be swimming in peas. But it's not not that. But this this little term in here, this hyperabundancy doing far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. That, that's, that's bigger than you can imagine. And think about it. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1 in context, it's way bigger than we could have imagined how expansive and how huge God's plan was before time to love me, to love you. Personally. And to take care of that by His grace and mercy and goodness, all to the glory of His grace. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It's far more than we can comprehend. And it's all better than we could ask or think. And the great Greek word there means all. Just all. It's nothing excluded. Every possibility. 
It's hyper anything, hyper everything, hyper unlimited, hyper enduring, beyond the bounds of anything we could imagine in any dimension of quality, quantity, or time. This doxology is a statement often taken as a promise, but it is not about selfish interests. It's about fulfilling God's interests. That's why it's here. In fact, this, I, I say all of chapter 3 is missional. It talks about breaking, it refers to breaking down the barriers of Gentiles and how surprising that would have been to Jewish believers. Hey, Gentiles get to be saved too. No holds barred. It's good. But beyond that, it's just amazing that God's plan extends through all of time to that final scene and conclusion where some people from every tongue and tribe are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ around the throne. It's about fulfilling God's interests. So I suggest if you pray this doxology, you need to be in alignment with God's interests. It needs to be prayed in a way that is bringing glory to God, not fixing your lack of responsibility. You've heard this from me before, right? The student who wants to pray this, Lord, please do exceedingly abundantly beyond all I ask or think because I didn't study for this exam. It's not about that. Second, I want you to commit to God's purpose to glorify Him in the local church. The text in verse 21 takes us back to Him. To Him. That's how it starts. Be the glory in the church. His purpose is to bring glory to Himself in the church and in Christ Jesus. So why focus on the church? We're going to have to dig a little bit and build the case for this in Paul's statements, in Paul's life, and even in the New Testament. It seems unique and unexpected and totally in line with everything that Paul is and does and writes. You may have heard this before. You may have heard it from me. I've read this many, many times and so many times in the past I've skipped over the church part. To God be glory in Christ. That makes sense. Perfect. But when it says, be glory in the church, and you have to think local church, you think, what? You know, look around at all these people. They're irritating. They're not like me. They have funny quirks to them. They have personalities. They don't agree with me in everything. How can God get glory in the church and in Christ Jesus? Why focus on the church? So go back to Ephesians uh, 3, just up the page, verses 10 and 11. He says this. He was commissioned in the previous verses to preach the unsearchable or the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring delight to everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that, this is the purposive statement of all of that stuff, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers, authorities, and heavenly places. I contend that that has to be local churches. He's writing to a local church. It's natural that they would understand it that way. The recipients would understand it that way. 
Not just the church at large everywhere, right? In fact, if, if you take this logic, I'll skip ahead in, in my thinking a little bit. When Paul and others write a, a one another statements and commands in the epistles, in the practical parts, love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, uh, serve one another, all of those one another's, there's a bunch of them. There's more than 40. I heard somebody say there was 60 the other day. I didn't count 60, but I know there's more than 40. And what does that mean? That means it's done in context of a locally, mutually committed body of believers. That's what it means. You can't do all the one another's with somebody in another country. You can't even do all those one another's with somebody in another town. It needs to be people that you see regularly. And you understand their foibles. And they understand yours, by the way. You know, all those things I said about everybody in the church and how, what you might think about them? Guess what? They think that about you, too. And the only way that we can grow in grace and holiness is by working together to become more like Christ and see those things transformed by the Gospel to be the blessing that they're all intended to be. And every part of the body, this is Ephesians 4, working together for God's glory. So it's through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. And you think, well, what does this letter of Ephesians say about the church? I'm going to give you a really rapid overview. Let's see if I can... Nope, I'll go back. In various terms, just in this letter itself, race with me. He's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus, that is a local church. Christ is named as the head of the church. And that is true that it's universal. He's the head of all churches. But in this context, I lean toward understanding it as Christ is the head of the local church. Christ is the head of this church. We are members of the household of God. We're being built together. We're members of the same body. That's the local church. It's through the church. The manifold wisdom of God will be made known. This was in, according to His eternal purpose. It says, To Him be glory in the church. In verse 21 here, we're bearing with one another in love. That happens in the context of the local church. Maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That only makes sense in the local church. One body, one spirit, one hope. He gave gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which again really only makes sense in the local church context as we understand it, experience it. The whole body's joined and held together. Each of you speak the truth to his neighbor. That's got to be local church context. We are members of one another. Be kind to one another. Addressing one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Regarding husbands and wives... Paul uses the term church six times. Figure that out. And he's giving this great thing that's used at weddings all the time. And he says, by the way, at the end, I'm really talking about the church. So how do we know the local church is so, so, so important to our perception of the gospel and proclamation of the gospel and the practice of the gospel in our lives? Just consider you cannot fulfill those one another commands apart from being a, a active member in a local church. People never are going to grow in 
holiness in isolation from other people. It's the way God wired us. We're created to be social creatures and created to have this fellowship that, yes, sandpapers and knocks off some rough edges so that together we grow to be more like Christ, walking in the truth together. Consider the history book of the New Testament. The Great Commission was given. How did those early hearers understand what was supposed to be the result of Christ's command in the Great Commission? The book of Acts is very clear. They went out and planted local churches. They did not go out and create nonprofit Christian organizations. I'm not saying nonprofit Christian organizations are horrible. I are one. But there's got to be a connection with the local church somehow, some way. Consider that most of the New Testament was written to local churches or local church leaders. Even those books in our New Testament we call general epistles explicitly or implicitly assume a local church context for reading, obeying, and propagating these teachings. So even what we call the general epistles kind of written to scattered Christians everywhere, it has scenes in them that talk specifically about honoring your church elders. (laughs) About not having uh, bias in the seating arrangements at church, at local church in taking care of one another within the local church. They all relate to that. Consider that Jesus himself, in his very personal revelation to the Apostle John in the first chapters of Revelation, addressed specific local churches and specific situations with specific people in those local churches. Local churches were important to Christ from heaven in real time, and in real detail. Jesus speaks in those first chapters of Revelation. He says, this person by name, and that person by name, and this person by name, and wow. You go, Jesus knows all of us, like sitting here right now. Yeah, he does. Not only does he know what you're thinking and doing. He knows how you relate to other people in the church and how you relate the gospel to your friends, family, community as an individual. That's awesome and scary all at the same time. It's impossible to be a mature Christian and not be committed to a local church. F.F. Bruce says this, It is a vain thing for Christian individuals or groups to imagine that they, can be, that, that they can better attain to the fullness of spiritual maturity if they isolate themselves from their fellow believers. So in the uh, Georgia colloquial, there ain't no such thing as a lone ranger. You can't do it. You can't do it. I'm, I'm trying to decide whether to run this list for you. Uh, I think I will. Maybe it'll blow your mind. 
But, you know, did, did Paul actually have some special insight to the operation, the administration, the plan of a local church? I think he did. I think this was God's appointed plan. He had two things in his testimony in Ephesians 3. He was to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To proclaim the gospel. And the plan of the church. How does it operate? No one else had exactly that commission. I personally believe that some of his personal time with Jesus Christ was Jesus passing down this information. So Paul had written, or in his head at least, a church manual. This is how you operate the church. That's why he says things like, it was revealed to me in the upper room, the Lord said these things and did these things for the Lord's Supper. Was Paul there? No. How did Paul get that? By revelation and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he wrote it down because he told those churches, this is how you're supposed to do the Lord's table. So just think about all these things that Paul said specifically. Order in church corporate worship meetings, 1 Corinthians 12-14. through 14. Content of church worship meetings, focusing on content. Qualifications and selection appointment of church leaders, especially elders and deacons. Church member roles and interaction as a body. My favorite is Romans 12. Just get into that and get going on it. Church organizational structure in 1 Timothy and in Titus. Prayer in corporate meetings. Roles of men and women in the church and in life. Authority in the church. The primacy of Bible reading, teaching, and exhortation in the church. Details of church ordinances, the Lord's table, and baptism. Spiritual growth and mutually accountability in the church. Importance of unity, fellowship, and forgiveness in the church. Spiritual discipline exercised in and by the church, little footnote, that was established by Jesus Christ himself. Dynamics of church members' interaction in the church. The centrality of the church to Christian life, worship, and maturity. The headship of Christ over the church and its leaders. The role and tasks of church leaders feeding, guarding, and leading the flock. Financial support for vocational church leaders. Giving in and through the local church. Missions through the local church. The sending role of the local church for missions. The leader's role in equipping the saints for the ministries of the church. Sunday as the normal day of corporate worship and gathering of the saints. The use of music in corporate worship. And by extension, the centrality of the local church as God's means for Christian teaching, gospel transformation, and witness, worship, fellowship, mutual growth, fellowship, and accountability. Is that enough for you? Paul was all about the local church being the center of God's plan from ages before to demonstrate the glory of Christ the glory of God through the church. So I want you to have your heart lit on fire for boldly glorifying God in the local church by understanding Paul's doxology in this prayer. This was the capstone, the pinnacle of all of Ephesians, but the capstone of all of this calling and understanding the gospel from before time to the breaking down of walls between all kinds of people, 
under one gospel, under one cross, under one Christ. For the sake of the glory of God. That's how God gets His glory. Through people like you and me. Doing the kinds of things that honor and glorify Him. Including growing in Christ. And let me tell you, it doesn't get any easier with age. Somehow, as Americans, we have this crazy idea that older means wiser. Or older means you've got it more together. Or older means you don't have much to change. The Holy Spirit gave me a person in my life to help me understand that's not true. And other Christians within our local church to help me understand that I've got to swallow hard and hear what they say and be humble and make some changes in my life so that I better honor Christ. I better live for Him. For all of us want to live all of our life in light of the Gospel. Practically, what do we do? Become an active member of the best local church you can find in which you can actually be active personally, not just virtually involved. So we, we so greatly appreciate over the last four years the fact that we can have virtual church. We can have live stream stuff going on. And I, I appreciate that a lot. It's, it's fantastic. It's wonderful technology. And thank you for all of you who may be listening today. But let me tell you, you need to have contact with real flesh and blood people. They need you. And you need them. So do whatever you can. I'm speaking to my own parents here, who are not watching on this live stream, by the way. But they're watching live stream church right now, of their church in Atlanta. Mom just turned 91 and dad's 92. And thank the Lord, they actually are very active personally, in the flesh, in their small group. Although they're feeling too weak to attend a regular Sunday morning service. They watch on live stream. But you've got to figure out how to do that. And if you're not a member, get with the program. God intends for you to be an active member in a local church. Two, commit to actively living out the gospel in the context of that local church. It means get involved in gospel ministry in one way, whether that's serving the kids or being involved in outreach. But we really want every Christian to have some conscious idea of in what way am I sharing the gospel with people around me. And there are means of doing that. Three, don't be surprised or repelled by people different from you becoming your fellow church member to love and grow together in the grace of the gospel of Christ. Don't be surprised. Love them. Accept them. Are they like you? No. Are they perfect? No. Remember what I said? They may be thinking the same thing about you. So grow together. 
Let, let the differences kind of just fall out of your awareness and the centrality of Jesus Christ and his gospel and wanting to please him and glorify him be the thing that drives you to become brothers and sisters in Christ. Four, pray huge, mind-blowing, audacious things for the expansion, growth, and maturity of local churches everywhere, even if it means sacrificing your comfort, resources, and maybe your personal dreams. Pray huge prayers. Pray, pray huge prayers for Grace Chapel. Pray huge prayers for Grace Chapel's leaders. Pray huge prayers for Grace Chapel's missions. And then wait and see what God will do. Because He is very pleased to get glory that way. In ways that are beyond all that we can ask or think. Boldly give of yourself to build up the body of Christ right here in your local church. Grow. Really, really listen to those Sunday school classes and small group discussions. Model teachability. Worship fervently. Build up others. Conversely, that means don't say things that tear down others. Pray at all times. Dig into God's Word. Humbly serve wherever there's a need. Disciple others. Get help from a brother or sister in Christ. Be vulnerable enough to say, I need you to pray for me. I'm struggling. Or I need some help with this thing or that thing. Share your time, talent, and treasure. Make friends. Get involved. Repent of attitudes that keep God's church from expanding. And ask God to forgive any attitude that clings to my church as the best and only expression of a perfect church. We love what God is doing at Grace Chapel. It's fantastic. Amen? I'm from the South. It can be better than that. We love what God's doing in Grace Church. All right. Guy must be from Atlanta. We praise God. Hallelujah. Exactly right. Praise to God. That's what it means. That's fantastic. What God is doing is, is really wonderful, and we're thankful for that, and it's all by His grace and mercy. But there's more to come. We need to be God's people in this place. We need to be reflecting Jesus Christ in such a way that it is attractive. People see there is a warmth, a love of fellowship amongst all kinds of people in this particular body of Christ that is attractive to people who are desperate to understand and visually see the gospel at work in people's lives. That's what we want to see happen. Let's pray to that end. Thank you, O Lord, for putting this scripture in your inspired word and before us today. May we love you so fervently that we desire to be deeply involved in this thing that you have created for your glory, the local church. May we Express it in such a way that people can tell a difference 
this church actually is part of God's eternal plan to bring himself glory. Help us, Lord, to overcome our problems, our differences, our concerns in a Christ-honoring way that will continue to build your church for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.